This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Hi, I'm Anif Baharudin and this is GG Well Played, the show that talks about all things video games. We will be summarizing the Epic Games vs. Apple trial verdict that was delivered last week. But before that, here's a look back at some of the biggest news in the world of gaming with Off Neil Ting and Daryl Ong. Okay, first piece of news, we're going to start today's roundup with the news of the passing of Sir Clive Sinclair. He may not sound familiar to most of us, but the late Sir Clive was an inventor and an entrepreneur that was responsible for bringing home computers to the masses. He was 81 and he passed away in his home in London after a long illness. Sir Clive was most commonly known as the inventor of the ZX Spectrum, an 8-bit home computer that brought affordable gaming to the masses when it was first released in the UK in 1982. Yeah, for those of you who are not as familiar with the ZX Spectrum, it's a product that's based in the UK that came out around the same time as Commodore 64. And like that computer, it was one of the first few machines marketed towards mainstream audiences. And one of those few affordable options available at that time. The Spectrum's accessibility allowed for computers to be made mainstream, subsequently inspiring a lot of people to learn more about IT as well as gaming. Yeah, that's right. It's easy for us to take things for granted these days, but this machine was a big deal and the foundation for a lot of the technology that we use today. So rest in peace, Sir Clive, and thanks for laying the foundation for us. From that, we move to THQ Nordic. They have recently celebrated their 10th anniversary and to commemorate the milestone, they decided to have a virtual event. Uh, There are many games announced and as expected, we're going to take you through some of them. There's going to be a remake of Destroy All Humans 2 after it was leaked earlier. THQ Nordic has confirmed it and it's going to be called Destroy All Humans 2 Reprobed. The game will be a full remake with a new physics engine, especially for destruction. A split-screen co-op mood will also be made available in this mood. Sequel to action-adventure cult classic from the late 90s, Outcast was also announced. 10 members from the original development team will be involved in this project. And this will be released on the PS5, Xbox Series X and PC. Retro gamers who have memories of the original, hit us up and let us know whether you're excited by this upcoming sequel, Outcast 2, A New Beginning. Yeah. Alright, moving on, there was also Elex 2, a sequel to 2017 sci-fi RPG. Uh, Not much was revealed in the cinematic trailer that they showcased, but it was good to see an ambitious game like this tried to do something different, getting a sequel. And continuing on the trend of reviving old franchises, THQ will also be bringing back the third installment of their tactical RPG series, Jagged Alliance. Like Outcast earlier, this is going to be a continuation of a series that last appeared in 1999. Other than that, other games announced also include Expedition Rome, a turn-based RPG that's set in ancient Rome, of course. Super Power 3, SpongeBob SquarePants, The Cosmic Chic, and Racer MX vs. ATV Legends. Okay, moving on to the next topic, Quantic Dream, developer of PlayStation exclusives, Heavy Rain, Beyond Two Souls and Detroit Become Human is now a free agent after finishing their three-game deal with Sony and is now rumoured to have signed a deal with Disney. 
Now, when you sign a deal with Disney, you have a plethora of options in terms of IPs to work on, right? And rumor has it that they are now working on a new Star Wars game. Mm, this is a huge possibility if you look at the issue from the perspective of Disney, as Lucasfilms is now moving away from a big exclusivity deal with EA and then working on multiple deals with lots of developers under the Lucas Arts banner. The news was revealed by a French YouTuber called Gautos, who said that Quantic has now signed with Disney after their contract with Sony has ended, and they're trying their best to maintain a good image considering past transgressions in the studio related to hostile work environment that resulted in the studio being sued by a former employee in 2018. Of course, this is just a rumor, but it sounds quite interesting, and perhaps it will give you an insight into the kind of things that Lucasfilm has in store with regards to one of their most beloved franchises. Imagine a narrative-driven game with branching storylines, a la Detroit, become human, but set in a Star Wars universe. Yeah, I, I think it'd definitely be a very different and unique take. And lastly, the internet was buzzing recently after it was revealed that Sony has upgraded the PS5 model on the market. The launch version's model number was CFI-1000 and now Sony has released a new model named CFI-1100. Yeah, confusing but it's essentially the same PS5 and no, this is not a PS5 Pro or Mini but there were some changes made to the internal of the machine including a significantly smaller heatsink compared to the launch model which was pretty humongous. Tech YouTuber Austin Evans managed to get his hands on the new model. Lucky him, considering that a lot of people are struggling to even get their hands on the launch model. Uh, what he did is he did a bunch of tests and concluded that the newer model was worse. Hmm. Fanboys uh, of the PS5, of course, started flaming him for the video, which was pretty bad. But upon further testing done by the hardcore geeks like Digital Foundry and Gamers Nexus, they've concluded that the differences is pretty negligible. Uh, we highly suggest that you check out both the videos by Digital Foundry and Gamers Nexus, especially if you're more into the technical stuff. Uh, they're pretty dense, but kind of cool to learn yeah otherwise if you don't have the console yet and would like to get your hands on one in the future but not sure about these changes don't be the difference as far as we're aware is pretty negligible back to you honey Thank you very much, Ofnil and Daryl. Moving on, the Epic Games versus Apple trial finally ended, at least for now, after the verdict was delivered last week. And joining me to unpack them all is lawyer Leslie Lim, a lawyer from Ma Wen Kwai and Associates. I think if we look back at the last time you and I chatted on this topic, it was back in May. Uh, and at that time, the trial had just started. This was uh, maybe in early May. Uh, the trial ended uh, somewhere towards the end of May and the judge has just... Uh, delivered her decision, her ruling. Uh, it's a 185-page uh, judgment. And um, hopefully we can break it down in a bit more detail today. But in, in essence, the suit was uh, Epic Games um, filing a complaint against Apple uh, for, for two main things. Uh, one, regarding the uh, monopoly or the dominance of the Apple App Store. And second was the, what is familiarly or popularly known as the Apple tax, which is where developers have to pay a 30% cut uh, from revenue. And uh, the argument is that this is a very high percentage. And um, after having brought into the suit, Apple uh, filed a counterclaim and said that uh, Epic's action of, of offering an alternative payment option on the app uh, was a breach of the developer agreement. 
So the the trial basically revolved around this claim and this counterclaim. And uh, yeah, we, we can break down the judgment uh, as we go along on it. Yep, and the judgment is pretty interesting considering that I think a lot of people have painted it as nobody wins. Like everyone's like saying that oh, technically yeah, there's no big winner here. Yeah, so can you perhaps break it down for us? So, flowing from what I said earlier about the two main points that were in contention in court. Um, firstly, regarding the Apple App Store, the court decided that uh, Apple was not it was not holding a monopoly through the App Store, but when it came to the second question about the Apple tax and the 30%, the judge actually decided that there was uh, anti-competitive action by Apple and in fact uh, issued an injunction against Apple. So what this means is that Apple is now prohibited nationwide across the US. Uh, they are now uh, not allowed to stop developers from providing other payment mechanisms on the app. Yeah, this, is, this is a big deal because uh, previously, as, as many of, of, of us know, uh, any form of payment through the app must go through Apple's in-app payment system. Yeah? But on the other side, because uh, in the counterclaim, Apple raised that Epic had breached the developer's agreement, the court found that there was a breach of contract. And what this means is that Epic will now have to pay damages uh, of about, I think the total comes out to about $3.6 million. And how this figure or this amount is derived is, is 30% from uh, the revenue that was uh, earned by Epic through the app from certain periods. I think it was October, no, August to October last year. And then during the period of the trial as well. So, you know, if it really depends on which side you're speaking to. Some people have said, it's a very fair decision because both sides now have to sort of give up something. You know, Apple is going to have to adjust their settings on the App Store. Um, Epic is now going to pay a huge lump sum of money. Um, but some say Apple won and uh, Epic was the bigger loser because um, Apple is only going to have to concede in, in that payment uh, side of things uh, when Epic tried to raise this whole lot of, of arguments against uh, them for monopoly as well. So, so it really depends, I think, which, which side of the coin you, you, you speak to. Yeah, I, I find the whole uh, monopoly argument pretty interesting because I think you mentioned earlier in our previous session that it's a pretty difficult argument to win, right? So was it really a surprise for you that uh, Epic lost that argument? Well, at the end of the day, um, in a court system, what the judge uh, decides on very much depends on what is presented by the parties. So right from the get-go, if you remember in our last, in our last chat, honey, we spoke about the claim that was filed by Epic. And it very much depends on what was worded in there, what were the prayers that they were seeking against uh, Apple. But, you know, uh, just two key things that I, I thought I, I would like to highlight uh, in, in the judge's ruling. And uh, it, the two of it, one is the question of what is a game. And, uh, you know, many witnesses were brought up to share their views about what is a game. And in fact, on the second day of trial, uh, the judge asked Tim Sweeney, the CEO of Epic, you know, what, in your view, what is a game? And, and Tim gave his answer and he says, a game involves some kind of win or loss of progression, whether it's an individual or a social group. So there was all these debates going on about, uh, you know, what is a game and, and uh, Epic, 
tries to uh, put forth you know the argument that Fortnite is, is not a game per se, but it's more of a metaverse, you know, a social virtual hangout place. You can go and attend concerts there and things like that. But Apple at the end says a game is a game. Um, so that, that was one of the uh, interesting arguments that were raised, but the ruling uh, at the end of the day did not give a definition of what a game is. Um, so there, were, there was one, one interesting point. The other interesting point is that um, both parties tried to present about how the App Store is a marketplace, you know. There's a lot of emphasis on the word marketplace. And, and marketplace, you know, gives that connotation very, very wide. You're talking about a whole App Store, you're talking about a whole gaming industry. Um, but the judge again said no, uh, rejected both parties' definition of marketplace and said this suit is only talking about digital mobile gaming transactions. So she really narrowed it down and say, we are only going to uh, focus on this particular issue. And um, th there's much covered in the judgment about this, uh, but I think that the judge really went into to the technicalities of it. And um, I think if we look at the end of the day, uh, from a financial point of view, you know, about who's, who's going to win or, or lose more in this suit when you look at the final decision. Um, Epic definitely spent a lot of money to, you know, uh, drive this lawsuit. And, you know, it's always said that they're doing this crusade, you know, in, in the name of other developers. And not only are they having to spend on the legal fees, you know, uh, they're also going to now have to pay for the damages that's been awarded against them. And on the other side, then you look at, at Apple, uh, you know, previously the 30% tax is, is a given, you know, you're going to collect it from all of the developers, but now with this new injunction against them, how are they going to review it? You know, is it, is it going to affect their income very much or is it just going to be a little dent in the pocket? Yeah, so I, I yeah, just those two, those two points from, from the ruling I, I thought was very interesting. Yeah, you're right. Um, how how often do I guess uh, court proceedings get very technical into talking about definitions and whatnot? Because I, I, I know as an outsider who's not very well versed in law, I find that quite interesting. Cause during that, I think they ended up being quite. I guess meticulous and quite you would say pedantic in actually trying to find definition to terms, right? So is this common in, in court proceedings? Uh yes, because at the end of the day, the, the judge will need to look at uh, the issues at hand, uh, the facts that have been presented. And uh, when you look at the facts, you, you you know, there needs to be a certain level of understanding of the facts. And because we are talking about, you know, two of the very big players in the tech industry. Um, I think it's great the way the judge really went through the definition of each and every of every one of these terms and even, you know, narrowing down from marketplace to just talking about digital mobile gaming payments. Um, and I, I suppose in time to come, we will see whether this will be sort of the precedent moving forward. Um, so precedent means uh, example that other courts and, and lawyers can refer to for future cases. Mm. How big is the thirty percent cut win for Epic, and not just Epic but for the tech industry in general? Considering that I think that's the biggest point that they're trying to argue against, right? Um, how how will this change, not just Apple's profit, but also how it will change the tech landscape? You think? If we look at the way the judge has uh, 
given her, her judgment and her order, uh, essentially what the judge has now said is that uh, Apple is now uh, stopped, injuncted from prohibiting developers from including in their apps, uh, these three things are, metadata buttons, okay, buttons, external links or other calls to action. Means now developers can now include these things in their app. They can include buttons, they can include external links, and they can include other calls to action. Okay. There is no definition of what is a button and what's an external link. So Apple is probably going to try to come up with some definition of their own and then developers will come up with their own and then everybody's going to try and test this now. You know, what's the definition of this? Because from a revenue and income point of view, Apple doesn't want to so easily allow developers to put in their own uh, buttons and external links, correct? Um, and, and even if they do, what, what are the possible scenarios that we can see from here? Um, as, as a user and as a gamer, if you have option of two buttons, uh, you may not necessarily click the new one that's being offered. You may still stick to Apple's one. So, but what that means is that now players have a choice. Um, I think it may also reach a point where Apple might make it difficult for developers to include these buttons and these external links. Um, maybe the links might still require players to go to an external website, you know, you know, make, make it more difficult instead of a one-stop thing, it becomes a three-stop, you know, you got to go to three steps. Um, but I suppose if you look at the bigger picture, if even if all these little hurdles come into play, it is still, a, it's still better than nothing. Uh, if you look at it from Apple's point of view, that effort, that little steps to create fair competition, you know, this, this, this is one step towards that. Um, in terms of Apple's 30%, well, if you, if you look at when Apple first rolled out the App Store in 2008, 2007, uh, Steve Jobs at one point of time actually said um, the App Store was never meant to be a, a major income generating profit generator for them. Uh, but if, you know, that 30% that was actually uh, debated heavily during the trial, you know, why 30%, why not less? Uh, why do some other developers like Netflix get a lesser cut? Well, yeah, you know, it, it will still be an effect on their income, I would say, 30%. Um, and I don't think they're going to make it very easy uh, for developers to put in these external buttons and these external links. Mm. Yeah. And this will definitely reverberate across the industry, right? Considering that I think there are a lot of other companies that are also, you know, using the same method, taking 30% cut. Um, mm. Steam is one of them as well. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this will reverberate. You think that it'll be, there'll be a, like a very deep chilling effect um, across the industry moving forward? Mm. Yes. And the one example that, that comes to my mind when we discuss about, you know, this 30% and having external buttons and external links, uh, using other payment options. Um, if you recall, and if Clubhouse uh, was launched not too long ago and Clubhouse was only available on the uh, iOS first for a long period of time before they opened it up to, to Android users. And in one of the updates, 
uh, in the US only, users could transfer payment to fellow friends and speakers that they were hearing to using Stripe. And when we first heard about it over here in Malaysia, and, and it wasn't allowed here, the update wasn't available here, it was only in the US, and immediately my first thought was like, oh, how did they circumvent you know, the 30% the and the in-app payment system? And if you think about it at the base of it, it really is just a contract between two parties. Every developer has to sign a contract with Apple through the developer license agreement and a whole host of other agreements. And I suppose if, if both parties can agree that it shouldn't be 30% and it should be something else, uh, and I'm sure you know, both parties will negotiate terms that are to their benefit. Um, yeah, it, it really just depends on what two parties want to agree upon, which would make sense of why, say, Netflix was able to reduce it to 15%. And maybe others that we don't know about, these are just a few that, that we are aware of. So, yeah, I think it's a matter of time before other developers will continue to try and pressure Apple. Uh, I know that uh, Epic is planning to continue this crusade. Uh, we discussed, I think, in our last interview about how they have already filed um, suits in other countries as well, in the, in the UK, in Australia. So, matter of time. I, I feel it's just a matter of time. That was lawyer Leslie Lim helping us better understand the outcome from the Epic Games vs. Apple trial after the verdict that was delivered recently. Stay tuned, this is Digi World Played on DFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, listening to GG Well Played, I'm your host Hanif Baharudin. The Epic Games vs. Apple trial has finally ended for now after the judge delivered her verdict recently. We've been looking back at the outcome of the trial which saw both sides winning and losing. Epic Games won the alternative payment case after the judge deemed Apple's refusal to allow that option on their platform as anti-competitive. Epic Games, meanwhile, is guilty of breaching their contract with Apple and has to pay the damages. So while the outcome looks balanced, some have said that Epic Games is the bigger loser here. I asked my guest of the week, lawyer Leslie Lim, whether this is really the case. As for Epic, some people have said that, you know, perhaps they're the bigger loser here. But um, do you think that's the case? Considering that I think they managed to somehow at least win this particular 30% battle. Um, and, you know, the the even you know, when it comes to the punishment of breaching their contract, 3.6 million is a big amount, but at the same time, you know, for a company of Epic's size, will that be a big of a den in, in, in terms of yeah, in terms of affecting them? It really depends on what was their main objective. I think when when Team Sweeney you know, laid down the cards towards this direction, he knew it was going to come to this. Um, and I suppose to some extent they were probably prepared for it. You know, the, the moment they Epic offered that alternative payment option. They guessed that Apple is going to react somehow. I'm sure they know it was a breach of their agreement. But if really their objective is the bigger picture to, to continue that pressure, that crusade, and try and prove that Apple is monopolizing the market, then maybe, maybe their objective has been fulfilled. People say that Epic is the bigger loser here because... Um, out of the, say, 10 arguments that they raised, the court only agreed with them on one. 
they end up having to fork out so much more money. Um, their, their players are also unhappy because, you know, Fortnite is no longer on the iOS. Uh, bearing in mind that in the judge's ruling, the judge didn't say that Apple has to restore Fortnite to, to the App Store, yeah? Um, didn't say that. Didn't say it has to be restored. So if you look at all these points, yes, people would say Epic's the bigger loser. But if really their main objective was to um, continue this pressure on Apple and, and make society and other developers more aware of what, what Apple is doing, then it could be a win uh, in their books, in, in Epic's books. So Team Sweeney would be the best person to answer, I suppose. You mentioned earlier there are you know, a lot of interesting points that came up during the trial. Uh, you mentioned two examples. Uh, what are some of the other, I guess, interesting things that you've observed during the trial? I think there were a lot of like um, like information that came out during the trial. I think uh, there are websites that um, have done like a more comprehensive look at, you know, all the things that were, uh, I guess, brought up or even like that were revealed during the trial. But, you know, any other memorable information that you've, you you'd like to share with our listeners? Yeah, sure. Um, in a trial proceedings, when parties uh, are trying to convince the judge, you know, to... to award a decision in their favor, generally parties will use two things. One is documents and two is witnesses. Yeah? Same thing in this case. So for the documents, um, the documents folder, by the way, is available online. I think it's accessible by, by everyone. There's, I think, 800 pages of documents in there. I know the file is 4.5 gigabytes. If anyone is free to, to just slowly go through, but um, the point that I mentioned just now about how Netflix has a unique arrangement with Apple for only 15%, that came from the documents folder. Um, I think uh, there's a lot of exchange of emails. You see a lot of uh, Steve Jobs emails. You see a lot of exchange between Apple executives. I think there was even some emails um, uh, discussing whether or not the 30% should be reduced. Um, so these are all internal documents that we would not have had access to if not for this trial. And, and both parties would have had to present it because they wanted to convince the judge. Um, second one is the witnesses. And both parties had many witnesses um, presented for each of their cases. few that were interesting, I think, is um, Phil... Schiller, I hope I'm, I'm pronouncing his name correctly. He's, he's the marketing guy of, of Apple. And the review on his testimony was, was, was interesting because he took the stand and he was trying to present about Apple being this partner for the developers, you know, always trying to improve their platform for the developers, giving them tools and responding to their needs and um, that the app store is such a core part of the ecosystem and it cannot be removed. And people were saying that it was almost like watching, you know, one of uh, Apple's presentations, um, as we always do every September. And uh, I think Phil also tried to explain how uh, allowing developers to, to come into the app store came about. When the app store first launched in 2007-2008 it was only Apple's own apps and but people weren't satisfied with that and, and people started jailbreaking phones I haven't heard that term in such a long time but people started jailbreaking phones uh, hacking it 
in order to, to put their own apps in it. And so Apple then came to this realization that, oh, people wanted their own, their own apps and their own creations. And sure, so what we'll do now is we'll create a process for them to do it. But obviously, because it's in our garden, there's a lot of uh, talk about how Apple creates this garden. Um, and, but if you want to play in my garden, you got to do it by my rules. And um, so Phil came in and, and really just gave all this explanation and all this background about the App Store and, and how it led to, to what it is today. Um, both parties also got expert witnesses to come in, um, particularly to review the figures around uh, the uh, App Store uh, in terms of their operating margins and their commission and, and things like that. So a lot about figures. Um, who else was interesting? Microsoft had a few executives who took the stand and the role that Microsoft played in this trial was almost like they were Apple's, um, oh, sorry, Epic's uh, sidekick. Um, a lot of, of uh, arguments, you know, or, or analogies were, tr- were drawn with the Xbox. Um, about percentages, you know, I suppose just trying to get a, a friend from, you know, same industry to maybe demonstrate to the judge what's actually happening in the industry. So I think that was the role that Microsoft played in it. Um, and in, I suppose the last one that was quite interesting is that uh, Apple brought in a consultant to testify on the value of Apple's patents. So as we mentioned just now, there's this app store, it's a garden that Apple has built very nicely. And uh, obviously there's a lot of patents surrounding it because it's it's all customized and curated by Apple. And so this consultant came in and testified to the value of this. Uh, But at the end of the day, the judge still found no basis for the 30% rate. Uh, I suppose only Apple knows why they chose to stick to 30%. Mm, all right. Yeah, so what's, what's going to happen next, uh, Leslie, moving forward? So the, the decision was delivered on the 10th of September and two days later, Epic already filed their appeal. So in, in uh, all litigation cases, after a decision has been given by court, the next step is usually an appeal, whether or not you would like a higher court to review that lower court's decision. And in reviewing, the higher court would then decide whether to uphold the decision, means say that yes, the lower court was correct, or maybe overturn certain portions and say the lower court got this portion wrong, got that portion wrong, or maybe even overturn the entire decision. So basically asking a higher court to review. And so Epic has called their appeal. Uh, no news from Apple yet. Uh, they still have some time. In terms of the uh, judge's ruling, it's only going to take uh, impact on 9 December, if I'm not mistaken, uh, 90 days from the day of the ruling. And this is a time frame for parties to file their appeal, basically. So what we'll be seeing is probably um, further uh, deliberation by a higher court on these different definitions that have been raised during trial. Um, and 
I suppose in the other countries where Epic has filed all the other claims, uh, remains to be seen whether the, the court in those countries will come to the same decision or not. Mm, all right, so it's safe to say that this is not yet over. No, nowhere near over. <laughs> nowhere near. Um, I think both parties will fight very hard because there's a lot at stake. You're tuned in to GG Well Played and that was Leslie Lim, a lawyer from Ma Wing Kwai and Associates, breaking down the Epic Games versus Apple trial after a verdict was delivered recently. If you'd like to listen to this episode again, look for the podcast on bfm.my, our app available on the Apple App Store or Google Play and also Spotify. Do share your thoughts about the show or the games that you play via our email, ggwp at bfm.my. Don't forget to also follow the station on Twitter at BFM Radio. My name is Sanif Baharudin. Thanks for joining us. Game on and stay safe. Till next time. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.